What's left for Kalen DeBoer to do at Alabama? Quite a bit. And Ryan Day with a combo breaker. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to compare Kalen DeBoer to Nick Saban. I promise it's going to be fine. I'm going to talk about what he has to do and what it's looking like in Tuscaloosa right about now, not what it's going to look like in August. And I want to get into what Ryan Day has done just in the past week. But off the rip, you're watching this live. As of yet, we have not any knowledge that Jim Harbaugh is doing anything other than being the head coach of the University of Michigan. Until such a time, we will continue to act as if Jim Harbaugh is the head coach at the University of Michigan. Something happens, we'll talk about it, right? Like you, we've been paying attention. He's interviewed with the Los Angeles Chargers. I still say San Diego, too. It's fine, guys. He's also interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. If one of those jobs happens to be the one he takes, we'll talk about it. Until then, head coach at Michigan and the Bane of Ohio State's existence, which is kind of why I wanted to do this show right now, right this moment, is because if you've been paying attention to just what the Buckeyes have done in the transfer portal in the last week, you have seen Ryan Day is doing everything possible to build a 2024 roster that is capable of winning a national championship right damn now. That man out there like he's Jago in Killer Instinct throwing combo breakers at Galatius. You know, uh, for those of y'all that don't do the fighting games, a combo breaker is like when your woman is screaming at you and you say, my mama was right about you, that's a combo breaker. You know, yeah, yeah, right there, right? Where you get the hand to the face and she stopped talking, where you stop talking, that's a combo breaker, right? That is what Ohio State is attempting to do right now because frankly, it ain't been looking good for Buckeye fans. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Right. The first one is you might think that getting Caleb Downs out of the transfer portal is a tremendous win for Ohio State. You'd be right. It's also a tremendous loss for Bama, one, where he played last year and where I think he proved to be the best defensive back in all of football. But also for Georgia, which is where many of us thought he was going to be come this time next week because his dude, Traveris Robertson, was right over there. Coach of DBs at Georgia had left a job at Alabama, and that's his man's. That's his man's. But apparently, the Ohio State staff and the Ohio State Foundation had a lot to say about what Caleb Downs may or may not be doing, right? But that's only a, that's a safety, right? And I understand that we're putting a lot of onus on a safety. But if you watch that guy play, you understand that he's the kind of dude that you match up against Brock Bowers, and he was holding his own. He's also the kind of man you can put in the slot. You can put him out of corner if you want to. He's the most capable safety that has come out of a Nick Saban coach football team since Minka Fitzpatrick. And Minka could play six different positions. You know what I'm saying? He's that good. And when you add him to that secondary, it's going to have Denzel Burke. It's going to have Jordan Hancock. It's going to have Latham Ransom. It's going to have Sonny Styles. You're already beginning to salivate. But that's just one player. Now, it's a big player, right? But you add in there that he was also able to pull Julian Sayan, a former blue chip product out of Carlsbad, California, who... I think has a lot in common with Bryce Young. He's silky, he's smooth, he's accurate, and a quarterback that he can add with another 2024 top 50 recruit in Aaron Nolan, guy that we've had on the show before, and who also can absolutely spin it out there throwing darts at Langston Hughes. You're going to have both of those guys 
behind what we think is going to be the presumptive startup in Will Howard, another guy that Ryan Day went into the portal to go get. People are going, okay, RJ, why do you like Will Howard so much? I look at stats, and stats aren't that great. That dude came off the bench last year and led Kansas State to a Big 12 championship against a 12-0 Texas Christian. And this year, they're basically just short of playing another Big 12 championship, just didn't go their way against Texas, a couple other games here. He goes into the portal as a grad transfer, and I think he gives you the kind of foundation, being 6'5", 240, where you can do most of what you want. You can throw the ball down the field to Emeka Ibuka, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, right, among others, and then you're adding Jeremiah Smith to this mix. You know what I'm saying, right? Then you add in another SEC transfer in Quinshawn Judkins, who went for over 1,500 yards as a true freshman, went over over 1,100 yards just this year. And you're going to add him to a backfield that's already got Travion Henderson in it. Donovan Jackson's back at guard. Like, we keep going down here. Like, these are awesome combos. These are ultra combos. You know what I'm saying? And then we add in a Bill O'Brien, which I understand is kind of, kind of a lightning rod here because you either like Bill O'Brien or you don't. And if you don't like Bill O'Brien, that's okay. But the way that I look at Bill O'Brien being added here to this staff as offensive coordinator is not unlike what Kevin Wilson was for Ryan Day when he was back at Ohio State. It's another great set of eyes. Maybe the guy that calls plays may not be, right? I don't think that anybody's going to ask Brian Hartline to do any less than what Brian Hartline wants to do. And I think the more minds you can have in that room to help you get that offense back on track, scoring like it was scoring in 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, the better. Right. I think that's a good thing for Ryan Day. I also think this is also a great way to open up 2024 with a new athletic director and not just any new athletic director, Ross Bjork, because Ross Bjork is the guy who would fire his head coach because he feels that the program is stuck in neutral and thumb his nose at a $77 million buyout to do it. He's that guy. So if anybody understands the urgency for which Ryan Day is making all these moves, right? The kind of moves they have Lane Kiffin out here tweeting articles to websites I've never heard of claiming $13 million to spend on players. It's that guy, right? I think that Ryan Day also is uniquely suited to be head coach at Ohio State because there aren't a whole lot of men that carry it the way that he carries it, okay? That man was a missed field goal short of beating Georgia in a peach bowl college football playoff semifinal, basically win a Nash championship. We thought Georgia and Ohio State had what it was to beat Texas Christian or Michigan at the time, right? He's short, okay? Then you're going into the season. The man has put together an outstanding head coaching record, and we're still talking about whether or not he's going to be the head coach at Ohio State following 2023. And the more I, I ask about that or think about that or even put it to him at Big Ten Media Days, he says, hey, look, they're right. That's the job. Their expectations are the metric, okay? It doesn't matter that I, RJ, might think those metrics are a little bit outlandish and too far out in the weeds or even unattainable in places. They'll say, no, RJ, this is the Ohio State University, right? That's why we trademarked it. That is the standard is winning championships. Going a decade between national championships is just not what Ohio State football is about. And that's before you start to add in this losing streak that they are on against Michigan, that's the part that I think is going to really, really come to haunt Ryan Day if it doesn't happen for him November 30th this year, they go and win the game. Because now we're talking about a man who has not beaten Michigan the last three times that they have an opportunity to face them, even though he's made the college football playoff, right? Hasn't won a Big Ten title, right, since 2020, okay? Watching Michigan do that. And you watch Jim Harbaugh 
crawl out from under what I thought was going to be him out the door in 2020 at Michigan to not just winning three consecutive Big Ten titles, making three consecutive appearances in the college football playoff, and winning a national championship going 15-0 this year, it's also that you were stomping out Ohio State in the process. Now, I understand y'all don't necessarily like that word stomping out, but if you're watching the football games, does it really matter? Is a loss a loss if you're an Ohio State fan? Yeah, yeah, it is. You don't really care what the score was, right? It doesn't make you feel good to know that you were thumping um, Michigan 2018, 2019, 2020 if you're going to lose these games with the best wide receiver in the country, not necessarily getting the ball enough or on two really important interceptions, right? Thrown by Kyle McCord, who goes into the portal because apparently it's just real difficult to come back from that. Even C.J. Stroud doesn't live down not beating Michigan, which I think is wild because C.J. Stroud is, I think by anybody's accounting, one of the best quarterbacks in the world today, right? That's also a man who understands what it means to have players around you. Uh, you might have noticed that C.J. Stroud dropped between, at, let's say, at least $50,000 and as much as $100,000 toward an Ohio State collective that is run by Cardell Jones, making him not just one of the most prominent people to donate to an NIL collective at Ohio State, but it's first major gift giver back. Like he was taking money from that collective and he's able to funnel that back in, right? I think that's the way you draw it up if you're doing these things. But it also is Ohio State absolutely flexing its muscle and going, hey, this is what we want because we understand that if it's about an arms race, well, we got all the arms, okay? We're willing to spend whatever is necessary and whatever we can do with within not cheating <laughs> to go get players. So Ryan Day is going to have every opportunity to try to win in 2024. But the thing that really sucks about what we're looking at right now is I'm looking at combo breakers in Caleb Downs and Julian Sayan and Aaron Nolan and Will Howard. I'm looking at a combo breaker and Quinshawn Judkins. I'm looking at dudes that can stop Michigan from perhaps winning yet another rivalry game and Big Ten championship, and yet we're not going to know the answer to that until November 30th, so it is a thing that carries for damn near a year. And the way I put this in perspective is I got a homeboy who is a diehard Ohio State fan, and on that point, diehard just kind of sounds redundant because I don't know no halfway Ohio State fans. But I told him, you know, we're recruiting this on a Tuesday. That means that there have been 1,515 days since the last time that Ohio State beat Michigan in a football game, to which my homeboy did not miss a beat. He said, and I quote, we count by the minute. Dog. Ohio State fans, they tough. They tough because it ain't no 56-8 and eight to them. It's 0-3 against Michigan. It's no Big Ten titles. It's no national championships. That's how they keep score in Columbus. That's the job that Ryan Day has signed up to take. And you know what? Full credit to him because he ain't ducking it. You know what I'm saying? He said, fine, let me go into the portal, see what I can do. Nick Saban's retirement means that we're going to go and try to get some of those players, just like everybody else, right? And we can out-recruit people, we will out-recruit people. And that is how Nick Saban was able to build Alabama back into the juggernaut that it once was. He said to Mal Moore, athletic director at the time, you've hired an expletive football coach, but nobody will out-recruit me. And you look at what Ryan Day has done, you can understand he's trying to affect that same mindset. But that's a great way for me to go from talking about Ohio State and its recruiting out of the portal to Caleb DeBoer 
and what he's going to have to do in the next eight months as the head coach at Alabama. And the way that I look at this is kind of the way I look at Nick Saban uh, in his first year, too. But let's let's start with what we know. Ten Alabama players have entered the transfer portal since Saban announced his retirement. I don't think that's going to be the last. A lot of those guys are dudes you like, right? Caden Proctor, going back to Iowa. Caleb Downs, transferring to Ohio State. Julian Sayan, transferring to Ohio State. Roydell Williams, transferring to the Florida State. And all and on and on, right? We can keep going this. And we will. We'll keep doing this. Meanwhile... You got a really great win for Kalen DeBoer here, just a few last few days, and Austin Mack deciding that he's going to follow them down to Tuscaloosa to play quarterback. I think that's cool. I think that's great. You got the future kind of set up. I also think that Jalen Milrow is your guy, right? Uh, I understand that Eli Holstein is already over to Pittsburgh already, and your quarterbacks are quarterbacks, but I think Jalen Milrow has what it takes to be really great for Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, especially if they can teach that dude to get rid of the ball as quickly as Mike P- Michael Penix Jr. was getting rid of the ball. But we also had a lot of Alabama recruits decommit. One of those being number one wide receiver Ryan Williams, who's also from the state of Alabama. But you know what? It's Tuesday. That dude canceled a visit to Texas. And he's talking nicely about what Kalen DeBoer has already done at Alabama. And, you know, I don't begrudge any of the kids that were committed from reopening their recruitment because the head coach ain't the head coach anymore. And it ain't just any head coach. It's the greatest head coach who's ever lived, right? Period. I also think we're talking about what expectations for Kalen DeBoer could be. So, I don't want to talk about what the roster is or isn't right now because it's going to look remarkably different by the time they got to start playing football in August. But I think it's fair to say Nick Saban's first year was not great. As a matter of fact, Nick Saban was the highest paid football coach in America when he accepted that job in 2000, December 2006 to be the head coach at Alabama after what was not forgettable but not great at Miami. Okay, getting paid at the time, $32 million, $4 million a year. That used to be top end for what it is to be a head coach at the top of our sport. Now it's closer to 11, 12, 13 million dollars annually. But Nick Saban started that. So he gets to Alabama and they start out six and two, but they finish six and six. But that year, 2007, is not remembered for Alabama making the Independence Bowl, which is what it was. It's not remembered for losing close games to Georgia or Florida State. It's remembered for putting money in the bag against Louisiana Monroe, 21 to 14. And I got to get some context here. Mike Shula was the head coach at Bama the year before Nick Saban was the head coach at Bama. They played ULM in Monroe. They won that game 41 to 7. So you're Nick Saban. And you replace the guy who stopped a mud hole in Louisiana Monroe and walked it dry. And then you go and lose by a TD to L.A. Monroe. The $4 million head coach lost to the $130,000 head coach. That is Charlie Weatherby. Okay? The Warhawks hung the banner on a billboard. Tide rolled. There is a picture at a local restaurant near the stadium in Monroe celebrating that victory. They eat on it. They ate on it for years. You went 100 games without another unranked opponent beating Alabama after that. That's how big a deal it was. But at the time, you'd be right to question whether or not Nick Saban was the guy for Alabama, which seems ludicrous now, right? If Kalen DeBoer goes 6-6 in his first season at Alabama, are they going to give him another year? Yeah, I think so. But I also think that if you're going to absolutely compare him to the guy that came when that's inevitable because, well— you wanted to follow Nick Saban, this is what it's going to mean, okay? I think that if he can be competitive from the start and get off to, say, a 6-2 and two start, 
in the SEC play, the new SEC, everybody's going to take that. I also think that Kalen DeBoer is working with some stuff that Nick Saban didn't have. Kalen DeBoer's got the portal. Nick Saban didn't have the portal. You know what I'm saying? Now, Nick Saban also wasn't a great head coach to start at the Power 5 level. Now, first three years, Nick Saban, Michigan State. The one nice thing you can say is he beat Michigan the first time around. That's, that's hard to do at Michigan State, real hard. But he also went 19-16-1 and won in his first three years. All right? Kalen DeBoer, 25-3. and three. As a power five head coach. That's that's pretty damn good, right? Pretty damn good. So you're already starting off with a dude that knows how to put together a staff, knows how to put together a roster that can win and win from the jump, and they're going to expect that at a place like Alabama. But also, remember I said Nick Saban beat Michigan his first go-around? Kalen DeBoer did not. Now, I get it. It's a bowl game. It's for the national championship. It's not quite the same, right? It's not a Big Ten conference game. But you get my point here is there's a lot of things that you can add to Kalen DeBoer being – pretty good, or you can subtract from Kayla DeBoer being pretty good if you're taking into context what Nick Saban was doing in the early 1990s when he was taking over a big-time program like Alabama or Michigan State in this case, and what Kalen DeBoer might be able to do in the next couple of years. I think this is going to be fine. I also think that we're going to continue to talk about Kalen DeBoer and Nick Saban in the same breath in perpetuity. Like, I was asked about this in that how long are we going to talk about Nick Saban retiring and the ramifications of such? And I've said we probably won't stop because we're talking about changing the landscape of the sport with one man's decision. I mean, I just got done telling you about these players that have transferred out of Alabama and where they have been dispersed to. Talking about going from Nick Saban retiring to Kalen DeBoer being the head coach to a new head coach in Jed Fish at Washington to a new head coach at Arizona in Brent Brennan to a new head coach at San Jose State in Ken Niamatalolo. My God, Ken, I'm so sorry, dog. But point there is, we've seen this happen over and over again. I think that as I continue to look at what Kalen DeBoer puts together, I'm going to be able to tell you, hey, I think they're going to be pretty good, or, I'm, or perhaps maybe they should be better on this side of the ball or that side of the ball. I also think that None of us expected Washington to be in a national championship game last year. Full stop. We certainly didn't expect them to win the Pac-12 championship. Even when they beat Oregon, we still expected Oregon to come out. And that was only after USC just decided that they weren't going to play for a Pac-12 championship this year. Okay? Like, going into the season last year, you expected SC to be in that spot. But nobody would have been shocked to see Oregon in that spot. Then you see uh, what Washington was able to do. And against the schedule, they were able to do it again, right? And I also think that there's a lot to be said here about Nick Saban and who he wanted to take over after he was done. And I think that Nick Saban had a heavy hand in picking Kalen DeBoer to be his successor. That's enough for me. And when you got Nick and Terry Saban sitting in the front row of your introductory press conference— I don't know that you're going to get a bigger endorsement. I think he's going to need that. He's going to need to ride that this year, the next year, so for so on. And I think he's got shoulders that are broad enough to carry all of it. I'm really excited to see what that becomes post Saban, because frankly, it, it what we're talking about, we're talking about an Alabama team that won a national championship in 1992, right? Gene Stallings, and then NCAA caught him with some violations. They got a reduction of about 30 scholarships. They they lost their way. And it took him about 10 years to get back to being competitive. And about 13 years after that, you got winning your national championship. So how long does it take for them to get back to a national championship game is going to be the next question that he has to answer. Because 
You're going to have a team that compete, can't compete. It's about can you have a team that can win? And that means beating a team like Michigan, which kind of leads me back around to where we got started with this, which is, you know, Jim Harbaugh had his second interview with the Los Angeles Chargers and uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, assuming, assuming, assuming that he is not going to be the head coach of the University of Michigan in 2024, what happens then? Sounds like Jesse Mentor would follow him to wherever it is he is in the NFL, in the NFL, and then you got a new head coach at Michigan, and this is significant because there have been just eight head coaches at Michigan in the last 70 years, right? And I think that's kind of wild, especially when you think of two of those guys are Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. Uh, no, no shade. Just I'm just letting you know that's that's also what it's been. I mean, it's been a difficult job for somebody to take and. Frankly, we've seen people that don't get to keep it for very long, and we get to see it has turned out a whole bunch of folks that perhaps put it another way. Let me go at it this way. Jim Harbaugh took that job in 2015. It took six years to get it going in the direction that Michigan fans thought it should go. And that's Jim Harbaugh, who, by anybody's estimation, is one of the best football coaches we got in the sport. It's a tough place to win, man. I, I know that we've been talking about them being national champs, and I know that I have been talking about them being the number one ranked team, at least in, in my top 25, basically since like week four, right, of last year. But the reason that I kind of look at them the way that many people you looked at Washington is it's difficult to win there. You have to play outstanding defense. You have to run the ball, and you have to, you have to do something they didn't really show that they had the ability to do until late in the season, which was win from behind. That wasn't the kind of team that Jim Harbaugh generally liked to build. And frankly, that's not the kind of team that Michigan usually feels. They want to run the football on you. They want to win games that are maybe close on the scoreboard, but not when we're talking about in the trenches. And yet he was able to do that. So whomever you pick to go to follow Jim Harbaugh, it's going to be in a great spot. We know that, right? That's that's the nicest thing I can say about Jim Harbaugh. He's going to leave the place much better than when he found it, which is what he wanted. But if you are, say, Sharon Moore, and that is the guy that you go get, which is the smart thing to do, A, because you don't ever know what you're going to get in head coaches when you're going through these hiring cycles. And if you know you got a guy, don't be coy about it. Just hand him the keys. And you know you got a guy because that was the man that everybody was behind playing against Penn State when Jim Harbaugh couldn't be there, right, among other things. It's also a man that has shown himself capable of building the most important part of, I think, any major college football team, and that's the offensive line. His offensive lines the last three years have been amazing. Uh, I mean, nothing short of. Those dudes, year to year, two Joe Moore awards, right? And then a national championship. He's got seven guys in that room in 2023 that all might get drafted in 2024. Guys want to transfer in to play for him. And you don't get to see that with offensive linemen all that much because they're such valuable commodities and you're going to try to keep them as happy as you can. And Sharon Moore is an inspired play caller. Like he's running gadget stuff that I don't want him to run. And, and I love gadget stuff that, that usually I'm like to do Hey, run that sooner special. You know what I'm saying? Run your throwback, run your double reverse. But I'm looking at Sharon Moore doing, Hey dog, don't do all that. Hand the ball to Blake Coral, hand the ball to Donovan Edwards. Have some play action passes for JJ McCarthy to throw, yet he's still going to put Alex Orgy in there and uh, Origi, excuse me, and say, "Hey, we're going to have some plays for you." And I think the players have responded to that. Now, hiring an offensive guy to be your head coach is one thing. 
who's going to be your defensive coordinator? That's another question altogether. I also think that you're not going to put it past Michigan to not make a hash of this because just because you and I think that Sharon Moore is the guy doesn't mean that that's who Ward Manuel will go with. And I need to also add in here, Ward Manuel is the guy that put $125 million on the table for Jim Harbaugh and went out on the hardwood to tell everybody he's trying to get him a new contract. He's doing everything he can. Okay, if you can't get him, let's let's not make this hard. Right? Let's let's go hire the first black head coach in Michigan history and, and continue this winning thing. Because I, I think I think Michigan, y'all would like to do this winning thing for a little while, especially as you've seen the team down south is armed to the teeth. And Ryan Day is coaching for everything in 2024. I don't think there's anything short of that. It sucks, but from where I'm sitting, it sucks because I, I like to think I'm 56 and eight. You know, I'm saying I'm going to walk around with my shirt off, but not not in Columbus. He's, he's coached for everything. So if you know all that, give Sharon Moore or whomever it is that you choose the best opportunity to run it back in 2024. Because then we need to talk about Michigan being truly unstoppable in our sport. And I've never lived in that age. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's live episode of the number one college football show. We will be back Thursday. Unless, of course, Jim Harbaugh decides to tell us all what he plans to do in 2024. All right. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley, Antoine Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Jim Cunningham put the special in our special teams. J- uh, social producer is Javion Duncan. He makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chris Cheshire is sending in the signals. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls plays from the sideline. The play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all on Thursday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces.